There's one thing that I absolutely cannot stress too much. And that's that you and I need to be prepared for action. Uh, We need to be prepared by knowing God's Word. I've said over and over again, uh, and by the way, this coming year we are going to be passing out a little pamphlet that we're going to print ourselves where you can have a guide for daily Bible reading so that you can read through the Bible during the coming year. A little check-off kind of brochure. Uh, But we need to be reading God's Word and knowing God's Word. 2 Timothy 2.15 Many of you might have memorized it at one time uh, if you were going to church camp because it was usually on the list. In the King James, it said, study. The idea was, do your best. Do your best to present yourself to God as one who is approved, a workman that needs not be ashamed, the King James said. Rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, people who are aware of, acquainted with, knowledgeable about, and able to use God's Word, the Bible. But not only that, we also prepare ourselves by knowing God's world. God's Word and God's world. He created it. In the beginning, God created it. I like uh, in the Old Testament, First Chronicles uh, chapter 12, they're going through a list of, of people who were involved uh, in kind of like a, an accounting of a census. And when they get to the men of Issachar, in verse 32, it says that the men of Issachar were men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. That's the kind of people we need to be. Knowledgeable of God's Word, and also knowledgeable of God's world. Uh, Ezra. It's been a part of my reading this week as I'm reading through the Old Testament. And in the 8th chapter, I I was just, again, uh, it was reemphasized to me in my own reading, the importance of finding leading people who were, verse 16, leading men who were men of insight. Verse 18 finding that one person who was a man of discretion in terms of getting together what was needed to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. We need to be ready. We need to be prepared. Prepared for action. And prepared for action means that we are people of integrity who realistically understand the challenges that we face. But it also means... Knowing the shepherd. Uh, I heard this week an illustration and I just I couldn't help but bring it back and share it with you. It's a story about how at one time they decided in a special program to have the oldest minister of the church come back and the new young minister, who was quite an orator, quite a speaker, Both of them come up on the stage and both of them recite the 23rd Psalm. Well, the young man went first. 
And with His skills, he, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He just did a miraculous job of presenting the song. And when He was done, everybody clapped. He went down and over and sat down. And then the old minister who was up there in years came up and he too recited the 23rd Psalm. And when he was done, there was no clapping. There was silence. But there also wasn't a dry eye in the house. And somebody asked, they said, what was the difference between the young man and his oratory skills getting all the applause and praise and the elderly man who, who nobody clapped for, but everybody was crying? And the person who was asked said, The young man knew the 23rd Psalm. The old man knew the shepherd. We need to be people who know the shepherd. And our passage in Peter today, 1 Peter, gives us the idea of what our role model is in terms of this topic that we've been dealing with in terms of submission. And the question that faces us every day is, who is Jesus? As Christians, you and I can only understand who we are when we know who Jesus is with certainty. Last week, we talked about the nature and the necessity of submission. And today we move on to talk about how we, as citizens of a, of a civil government and as employers of an employee, are to be submissive even when things aren't right because we have an example. And our text picks up from uh, where we closed off last Sunday with verse 21. For this... For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. Let's look at that passage again. Jesus is our example, it says. And He says there, using the word for example, I have it here for you in the Greek, but I only have it there for one reason. Do you see that section where it has G-R-A-M-M-O-S? Kind of like grammar. That's the same root word. This word means literally that that Jesus is the one that we uh, write under. That's what that's what hypo means. We write under the pattern of Jesus. In other words, we he's the one that we imitate, that we follow in his good footsteps. And he gives us exactly what that that example was that we're to follow. 
Let's go back to the passage. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, and for to this, he says, you have been called. To this. Well, what are we talking about as that example? I think that there are some things there that are brought out in the text and they all come from a, a picture that Jesus, that Peter is using of Jesus' trial and crucifixion. Imitating Jesus is something that we do whenever we refuse to retaliate. That's not easy, for me at least. Somebody does something, I, I want to get back in some way. And I tend to be passive-aggressive. I don't like that about myself, but I tend to be passive-aggressive. But I still have that tendency to, to want to, to, to just get back in a little way somehow. But we imitate Jesus when we refuse to do that. We, re, we imitate Jesus when, when we don't threaten. We imitate Jesus when we display the trust in God no matter how tough might, things might be getting. And He says, to this you have been called. To this what? Well, he's talking about to this life of no retaliation. Um, get back to where we were. He goes on then secondly saying, not only is Jesus our example that we've been called to suffer just as He is. In fact, go back to, if you want to go back a little bit, He also says back there in, in verse uh, 10 that we're called to glory, to shine. And how are we to do that? That's what He's giving us in verse 21 here. We're called to shine by suffering patiently, cheerfully enduring. Because Jesus as our example is our sin bearer. Look again at verse 24. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. To this, to this, He Himself he himself, that's emphatic. He could have just said he did this. But in the original language, Peter writes, he himself. He wants to make sure we understand that he is emphasizing that Jesus is the one who in fact bore our sins. And how did he do it? He did it on the tree. I said, well, wait a minute, Chauncey. I thought he was crucified on a cross. Well, he was. What's the cross made out of? A tree. And the early Christians 
took the death of Jesus on that cross, and so did the early Jews in terms of others. They saw that as a fulfillment of Deuteronomy 21-23 that said, a hanged man is cursed. And they understood crucifixion as the fulfillment of that statement back in in the Torah in Deuteronomy. Why did He bear our sins on that tree? Well, He goes on to say that it was an act of of taking care of our sins and enabling us to live to righteousness. Now, that doesn't really probably come home to us. But it's because we don't tend to be people who study and know the Old Testament. But those Jews who were there, who were reading Peter's letter, as soon as he started saying this, they would have been reminded of Leviticus 4. Where in Leviticus 4 it said that the priest would go and lay his hand on the head of the bull. Or it would say that after that, the elders would come and they would lay their hands on the head of the bull. Why were they doing that? Why were they laying their hands on the head of the bull before the bull was going to be sacrificed? Because it was a symbolic way of saying they were transferring their sins onto the animal that was going to be sacrificed because a little bit later in Leviticus, it says in chapter 17, verse 11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it... I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So what Peter's saying is, come on, let's go back to Leviticus. Let's go back and see this picture that's happening here on the cross. The priest used to lay his hand on the bull. The elders used to lay their hands on the bull and transfer their sins. And that animal was sacrificed so that the animal then could take their sins and they could be without sin. Now here's what Jesus did. Jesus was willing to take that curse of sin that we all deserve... He's willing to allow that to be transferred on to Him so that by His death and by His blood, you and I can be saved. He's our sin bearer. We're called to suffer as Christ suffered. To die to sin. To die to sin. Now, let me tell you a little bit about that word. It doesn't mean just kind of shunning it. It doesn't mean just kind of saying, well, I I know I shouldn't be a part of that. I know it's wrong and, you know, but God will forgive. No, what it means, it's the exact same word that was used when it said Peter denied our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are to deny sin. We're to let it die. Why? So that we can live to righteousness. There's a song that we used to sing, and we haven't sang it here that I recall. 
The song went like this. Living, He loved me. Dying, He saved me. Buried, He carried my sins far away. Rising, He justified freely forever. One day, He's coming, O glorious King. Now, we don't think of it this way, but this is what Jesus wanted us to think, and this is what the apostles were teaching, but it's hard for us to understand The cross was the throne. The cross is the place where Jesus was exalted and glorified. And that's why He's calling us in that suffering. And Peter is saying, you and I need to also be shining and glorified in that way. What did Jesus say? Take up your cross and follow Me. And then He says there, By His wounds, you have been healed. That's where those people would have been saying, Peter, this is Isaiah 53. And it is. Isaiah 53 talks about the idea that we are healed by His wounds. And, and, you know, it, it, it goes on. Here's a portion of it. Remember when I read it? It's the call to worship. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord's laid on him the iniquity of us all. Look at what Peter writes. For you were straying like sheep. This is the next line right after by his wounds you're healed. For you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He was pointing to Isaiah 53 again, saying, look, you need to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, but also Daniel 7. He's the Son of Man on the clouds returning, the victorious one who does it as the suffering servant. And the way that we're going to be victorious with Christ is for us to also be willing to suffer. It's a a before and after picture. Matthew 9, verse 36. It says, When Jesus saw the crowds, He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 11 says, I came that they may have life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So look again at this closing verse of the chapter. Do you feel harassed at times? Do you feel like you're wandering, just not sure what direction to go? Lost? Overwhelmed? What's Peter call us to do? To do what his readers had done. You were straying like sheep, 
but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your soul. You and I need to simply return to the shepherd and allow him to be the overseers of our soul. I mean, I love this little passage. There's so much packed in just five verses. 21, 2, 3, 4, and 5. The fact that He is our example. And, and you know, I don't want to go back to that, that slide again, but how many of you remember those little sheets that maybe you remember them from your grandkids bringing them home now, but there are still some that remember doing them where you got those letters and boy, you worked hard to stay right on those lines to make sure that that letter was just right. And there were some kids in the class that they would just, they'd follow that line and that other line and then they'd just scribble on across just to get it done. Listen to me. There are some of us who are doing just that. Oh, we, we, we pay a little attention at first, but then we just rush right on and scribble on in our lives, not really worried much about the pattern anymore. But Peter says we have to return to the shepherd, the example, the one who bore our sins. I'm going to close with this. This week has been one of those weeks at which a topic came up and just seemed to keep coming up. Have you ever had one of those weeks? And when I have those weeks, I kind of feel like the Lord's trying to say something to me. And the topic that kept coming up was the topic of knowledge versus action. And the stories that I was reading were stories about people who had all kinds of knowledge and were either successful or were failures. The amount of knowledge didn't determine whether they were successful or failures. What determined whether they were successful or failures was how they took that knowledge that they had and put it into action. And I thought about that. And I thought, how can we as a church begin to focus on taking the knowledge that we have, wherever it's at, whatever level, and putting it into action?